Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's March 12, 2014 and this is episode 411. To celebrate the release of my new Craft & Vision ebook, Striking Landscapes, today I sat down with my friend David Dushiman to talk about landscape photography and as I thought might be the case, we went on to discuss running a business based on your passion for the work and we also touched on shooting with mirrorless cameras, avoiding going on location with unnecessary preconceptions and developing a style along the way. Towards the end of the conversation, our Skype connection got a little bit flaky, so I didn't get a chance to ask David to give you his website address, things like that. So just uh, just in case there's a, a tiny chance that you might not already know, you can find David over at davidducheman.com. So that's D-U-C-E-M-I-N.com. And also check out David's incredible new Craft & Vision video podcast. You can get to that at craftandvision.com and there's a podcast link, but I'll put links in the show notes for this week's episode as well. And I'll also include some links to my new book. So if you go to mbp.ac 411 for this episode, all of the links will be there. For now though, let's jump in and start to listen to my conversation with David Dushiman. Okay, so I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend David Dushiman, and uh, we're going to talk about landscape photography and a few related subjects. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Martin. How are you? I'm great, thanks. It's uh, it's really nice to be talking with you again, and uh, I'm looking forward to... We, we've really got to, <laughs> a very um, a blank canvas here today. We're literally just going to talk on a, a number of uh, areas of... of landscape photography so i'm looking forward to getting into it yeah me too very much very much and by the way congratulations on the release of your latest landscape book yeah thank you very much it's uh, and thank you guys you know over at craft and vision for making it happen because uh, there'd, there'd be no point in me writing it if there wasn't a team over there to to accept it and to to do all of the design and layout and everything and you work so hard on all of that stuff so well it's our pleasure thank you so um you know, obviously, I realise that you know, you know, you you, as I do to a degree, you work in a lot of uh, different genres of photography, but you know, over the years, I you know, I, obviously, it's impossible to to miss that you're a very accomplished landscape photographer as well as all of the other stuff that you do. So um, I, I'm going to pick your brains a little bit, and then we'll we'll just back this back and forward. But uh, how about we start? You know, say the, say you've uh, you've decided that you're going to go and photograph a, a certain location and you, you drive up, you know, what, what are you going to be thinking as you, as you approach or as you actually get into the, the act of starting to shoot that location, actually, you know, make your photographs? Um, that's a good question. I might, I almost always think exactly the same thing when I either arrive on location or, or start photographing. And it usually can be best sum up with, oh my God, what am I doing here? I'm going to screw this up. I haven't got the first idea what I'm going to do. And I, <laughs> I usually begin my creative process in this state of, um, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I, and, and that sounds, it sounds very defeatist and it sounds very like this guy has no idea what he's doing, but I've actually found over the years that that is, that is for me and my creative process, absolutely the best place I can start because the other alternative, again, for my personality type is I arrive and I, I think I know exactly what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that has always stood more in the way of me uh, recognizing what a place truly is mm. because the expectations kind of, and it, for anyone that's heard me talk before, I'm very, um, uh, this is one of those hobby horses I get on, you know, it's either this or vision. I mean, I only got a couple, couple <laughs> sermons and I preach, <laughs> preach them in 20 different ways, but you know, part of our vision is not, it's not about how we see, you know, with the eyes, it's not the physical act of seeing so much as the, uh, it's about recept, it's about being perceptive. It's about how we perceive. And I think if you are receptive, if you go into a situation where uh, uh, possibilities are okay, I think in my mind, if I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do this, or what if I do that? But as long as it doesn't cross that threshold and go from being a what if to, oh, I'm definitely going to do this. Mm. Because 
every time I've gone into a place and thought, I'm definitely going to photograph this. You know, I have this amazing idea and I'm going to get there and there's going to be snow and I'm going to do this and I get there and there's no snow. Or <laughs> I, there's, you know, the fall colors are going to be all and I'm going to photograph this and it's going to all, the color palette's going to be reds and orange and I get there and everything's green and the colors haven't changed yet. And I have to, you know, I have to go somewhere else for a week and, and, you know, camp until, until the colors do change. Um, I think rolling with a very open, uh, just holding your expectations very openly so that when you do arrive, you're looking at possibilities instead of, uh, sort of definitives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's very help, uh, helpful. And I encountered a, a, an idea recently, uh, while I was reading some other things, um, an idea that comes from, from Zen Buddhism. And, and that is this idea, and you would probably be more uh, familiar with the word, this idea of shoshin. Um, mm. which is a beginner's mind. And one of the things I read about it is in the, per the mind of the person who thinks he's an expert or a master, um, he's kind of got to the end. There are no further possibilities because he thinks he knows it all. Mm. In the mind of someone who's kind of embraced this, this idea of the beginner's mind, that doesn't mean you have to be a beginner, but anyone who has this kind of internal creative posture of humility and, and receptivity recognizes that you don't know everything, that there is room for possibility, that there is room to ask a question, what if, and and to fail and to, to try. And so for me, I know this wasn't exactly what you were asking, but for me, it's very important when I start a process to at least allow myself the natural inclination, oh man, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Mm. I should just, you know, I should just go to the nearest pub and have a pint. Um, <laughs> that yeah. kind of receptivity to the possibility of failure actually allows me to more comfortably fail because anyone that's done this for any amount of time knows that the more you fail and at least are open to learning from your failures, the closer you get to the true work, the stuff that's um, the stuff that's risky, the stuff that maybe you're afraid to do, the stuff that um, requires some new techniques that you haven't experimented. It gets us out of our the cycles of repetition and, and gets us into our new work. So that's almost always the starting place for me. Mm. I don't do things like, you know, a lot of people do Google image searches yeah, and yeah. they look up, you know, photographers, ephemera, and they, they, they know exactly where the sun's going, exactly what time, they know how many raindrops are coming down per, per minute and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I just want to make pretty photographs, man. Mm. So I, I'm not, because I don't imagine, okay, the sun's coming down at this point, it's going to be here. I, I would rather show up and be surprised. Mm. And, and I think that being surprised, and not everyone works like this. I never want to give the impression that my way is the only way. But being surprised actually gives a new energy to my creativity. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at this, mm. rather than rather than uh, oh man, that the sun came down, you know, three degrees uh, <laughs> more to the right than I thought, and now I'm disappointed. And oh crap, you know, I I work better when I have that element of surprise. Mm. It, that's really interesting in that you know I. I I have a a bit of a section in my book that covers this, but um, it's kind of related to I don't do the Google search thing for uh, planning either. I I think the way I put it in the book is that I don't want to plant seeds because I um, you know I don't want to get there with a head full of other people's images. I want to get there and be totally open to the to the location and, and right. I, I find that that's the only way that I become more creative as well if if you get turn up with preconceptions of what you want to what you want to shoot then you'll almost certainly end up going away with a whole bunch of images that someone else has already showed you so that's a good point yeah, yeah. absolutely and and so i mean i i do use the i use tools to find out where the sun's going to be so that i know which side of a valley to go to and things like that but i um I think that apart from that, we're very similar in that, I mean, I turn up as well and, and I'm there thinking, okay, so you have to start once you're in the location. Uh, but it, for me, it's really important not to look at other people's images before I go. Um, and I think I start the passage with a, you know, I obviously you need to know what's in a certain area. You need to, sure. you need to get your initial uh, impetus from, um, you know, from from finding out what is where, you know, you, you can't just sort of jump in your car and drive aimlessly. But once you know where you want to, well, you you can, you 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 actually, I mean, you can. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> but I th I think that's a different conversation. Yeah, that's that's not quite what I meant. You know, so I mean, you obviously you can do that, but 
if you if you go out with a uh, you know you you find your initial ideas of where you want to go from looking at imagery and and hearing what you know you, you're not going to jump in a in a boat and drive three uh, sail for three days across the Drake Passage if you don't know there's Antarctica down there. Um, but so, so, you know once you get there, you really don't want to have a head full of other people's images. Um, and, and I think the, the thing that I go on to is that I, I often get back and someone will say, oh, yeah, that's a great place. Have you seen this photograph? And they'll send me a photo and I'll be like, I'll be kicking myself because I didn't didn't get it. But I'm not kicking myself because I didn't come back with someone else's images. I'm, I'm kicking myself because I didn't see it while I was there. I wasn't creative enough to make something that, that blows my, you know, blows my mind as much as the new photo someone's just showed me. Um, yeah. you know, and, so- and I, and I, I think it's important, Martin, though, because a lot of people listening are going to recognize that thought and that feeling and think, oh, yeah, I've had the same thing. But the reality is you may come back and someone may show you a photograph and you think, oh, man, I didn't see that. But I think it's very important to realize we all have different visions and Mm. you cannot see everything. And it's very important. I would rather come back with 12 really great photographs of what I truly saw yeah. From through my own eyes, uh, what I truly experience, and look at someone else's work and go, man, that must have been a great trip. I didn't see that. Rather than I should have, because I think then we beat ourselves up as though the expectation is you have to make a photograph of every possible thing that's out there. Mm. You don't. And nobody sees the photographs you don't make, and the ones you don't make are probably being made better by someone else who sees that place in their own way. Right. So I, I totally, I totally identify with the feeling, but I fight against it because it makes me feel less good about the work that I've done as though my vision, the things I did see are less valid than someone else. We're always going to see someone else's work and probably look at it with greater favor Mm. in some ways because one, we didn't see it. So that image is taking us by surprise, um, you know, and and it's fresh and it's new and we haven't, we haven't kind of slaved over it with the same angst. Mm. So there's not the emotional baggage, but I I do, I really think it's important for people to understand this is part of the natural creative process when you look at someone else's stuff to go, huh, you know, I love that. I adore that photograph. I didn't make that, but it's amazing. Hmm. Does that mean I should have made that photograph? Yeah. Of course not. I was busy doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, but if you miss the opportunity to learn from that, I think that's when you should kick yourself because you should look at it and go, wow, why didn't I see that? Is that even something I, I should have noticed? Why didn't I see it? it? Or at least recognize, you come a little closer to recognizing your own vision when you realize what it is not. Because I think a lot of people struggle with what is my vision well knowing what your vision is not is as helpful to know yeah and and that's really strongly related to what i'm saying that you know that it's not necessarily that i'm kicking myself because i didn't come back with the photo it's because i'm kicking myself for not not having had the the creativity in the field to to see something similar but you're right i mean i don't necessarily have to come back with the images that someone else has already shot and the the value to me is I'm, I'm finding that, you know, the work that I do come back is much more me than, you know, and, and that's where our style comes from. If, you know, people ask a lot, how do I develop a style? And I think that one of the best ways to do it is to shoot from you and not to shoot from ideas that you, or preconceptions that you've already picked up from someone that's already been there. You know, Absolutely. And, and in fact, one of the best ways to develop a style is to stop trying so damn hard to develop a style. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's a little bit like um, like the author C.S. Lewis said at one point. He said, anyone that searches for originality mm. is in that search for originality not going to find it. But if they just get on with doing their work and they and they tell the their work in the, the and I'm very heavily paraphrasing, but if they do their work in the way that is most authentic to themselves, mm. um, they will find looking back on their that work that they have uh, in his case he's talking about originality they will have become they will have created something original and i think that's the same thing with us do the stuff that's authentic to you and do it consistently be intentional about your work and when you look back on a body of work someone someone will be saying man i love your style and you think oh wow (laughs) you're right i have one and i didn't even notice because the point is not style the point is photographing authentic work and you look back and go oh son of a gun yeah and and that's exactly what I think happens, and it all comes from shooting a lot and shooting from your heart, and and not trying to be something else. So, I think we're uh, we're we're kind of the conversation is is going the way I'd hoped. We're stumbling on things that I think the listeners are gonna are gonna be able to connect with. 
Well, that's good because I'm just making it up as I go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's stuff why, out of thin air. And that's why I love having you on the show, David. Um, <laughs> so, okay, you know, we're out in the field. We've obviously we've got a bunch of a bunch of gear strapped to our back as we approach. What does your kit bag look look like these days? Gosh, you know, it's changing so much. And, and a lot of it just, it, well, some of it has to do with technology that allows these changes. A lot of it is just, you know, I mean, you, I think we've talked before about the accident that I had a, a few years ago and sort of just ongoing mobility issues that have forced me. Um, I, I just can't not carry all of that stuff anymore. Mm. And and it works out nicely, even though in my kit, I still have a D4, two D4S bodies and a, and a D800. And, you know, I, I got a Hasselblad film body. And, but the, the, the two cameras now that I, I am enjoying shooting with the most are uh, the the Fuji XE1 and uh, the new Leica M, the the 24 megapixel full frame. Um, both of those cameras, you know, they're so light. Together, they weigh less than my DSLR, mm. and um, and the batteries are, are lighter, and and the optics are exceptional, especially when you use the like the Leica or the Zeiss glass, and and both will take them. Mm. Um, with, you know, with one adapter, you can put those those onto the uh, the Fuji. Um, they're the image quality is staggering, mm. um, and. And I can, I can, because again, because of my mobility issues, I mean, other people could throw all this heavy gear and walk for miles. I can walk further than I, I once could with all this heavy gear because I have the lighter stuff and I don't need much. I mean, also when you have slightly smaller gear, you, you don't need as heavy a tripod yeah. and, uh, and you can, you know, you can carry an extra bottle of wine or something with you, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going into the field with less and less now, mm. but still, I, I still a kit of, of filters and, um, you know, extra batteries and that stuff. But usually it's, it's my Fuji, my Leica, and then uh, sort of a selection of, of wide angle lenses, um, mm. everything from like 15 millimeters to, um, to f- kind of the to 85, 90 equivalent. And I, it's funny, I, you know, unless I'm photographing like wildlife or, or whatever, I'm not usually bringing the longer stuff, even even sort of 70 to 200 equivalent. Mm. I'm just not doing it anymore. Because um, the, the bulk of the work that I like in my own portfolio, if I go through and in Lightroom do a metadata search, 90% of the work that I really, that I most resonate with is sort of between 16 and 35 millimeters on a full frame. Mm. So even the size of the lens, and of course, you know, then you go photograph wildlife and you're, you're carrying 60, 600 millimeters or whatever, but mm. um, the smaller stuff for me, now that the quality is as good as it is digitally, mm. is, um, is a real boon. Yeah, I, um, I know that you, you lean to the, to the wider side. It's, uh, I, Probably myself, I I shoot most of my work now that I've now that the twenty four to seventy is for me is is a good lens. I'm I'm using that more, um, but I I still probably shoot most of my my landscapes with seventy to two hundred. So it's it's cool that you're you know you're not going out that far and you're still producing incredible work. So it's uh, it's not it's you know it just goes to show that we all see and do things so differently. Um, I, I love to get the the wider shots, but I almost always end up going in closer. Um, but you know, it, I, I think that that speaks to something important, and and that is, I mean, a lot of people, especially people that come on, you know, you and I have done our fair share of workshops and tours, and people will come and they'll see what you're doing. Their their big question is, you know, what lens should I use? Mm-hmm. And it's just it's. And of course, you try to be very gracious because you understand the intent of the question. But it is, it is such a meaningless question in the sense that unless you, it's like saying, "What I want to cook a meal. What ingredients should I use?" Well, unless I know what you want to cook and how how you want it to taste, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And and I love the fact that you know you can look at my work and say, "Oh, that's that shot wide with a sixteen to thirty-five millimeter," and admire the work get something out of it, but feel no pressure whatsoever that, oh, I should be shooting with a 7200 or with a, instead of my 7200 with a wider lens. And I think learning from other people's styles, but being very sure of, uh, I, this is what I prefer. And mm. yeah, I'll experiment all over the place. I'll do a landscape with a 300 millimeter, 600, I don't care. But the fact is, ultimately, what what I like the most is is that wide 
mm. kind of, you know, stuff. And I'll look at your work and think, man, I'm never going to see that because I don't even have the lens, mm. you know, but, but that's fine because it's your work is just so distinctly you and my work is distinctly mine. And that I think is where the rewards start coming. And that's where I think, uh, especially if you're doing this, you know, seriously with intention of creating a body of work or, or whether it's commercial or not, um, mm. That, I think, is when it pays off because a consistent body of work, something that has a visual cohesion instead of like being all over the place and looking a little bit like Galen Rowell, a little bit like Art Wolf, a little bit like Martin Bailey and throw some Ansel Adams in there for good measure. Um, the work become, becomes, um, I mean, I say this in the nicest way, but it becomes a little schizophrenic. It's a little all over the map. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think that people do do tend to, you know, you'll, you'll pick out, a certain not not a style as such, you know, it's, but you you tend to um, what's the word um, gravitate towards the things that you find most pleasure in, and so you know if you what you just said earlier is a really good way to to for a someone that's not quite at this point yet to to see what they're gravitating to is to do a, an exif search, you know, go into Lightroom and just click on the lenses and you can list all of your images by focal by focal length or or by lens and just to sort of you know go in there and see what you're shooting with the most and uh, you know and not just when i say this i'm not really talking about uh you know across your whole image all of the images that you've got in your library you want to have a certain area of your library that contains only your best work or the things that you that pleases you most uh yeah. a portfolio and things like that and so, you know, see what the what focal lengths or what lenses you shoot in the portfolio with, and that's going to point you to the to the you know what what sort of gear you're really gravitating towards. Yeah, it's a good tool too. I think you know all of us fall into um, there's a very thin line between what is our our creative groove and what becomes a creative rut. Mm. And I have often sort of looked at it, and and if I'm feeling if I'm feeling a little discouraged, like, you know, the work I'm doing is repeating itself or or it's not what I expect, I will do a similar search uh, and, and ask myself, you know, is it the gear I'm using? Is it that I've just got too comfortable with, um, you know, for a long time I was shooting so much portraiture with an 85 and I, I got bored of it and I couldn't figure out why my work wasn't pleasing me the same way. And, and I noticed all my work was being done with 85 at 1.2, very shallow depth field. And I challenged myself to see if, if another aesthetic didn't do it for me creatively. So I put my, at the time, I think it was like a 17 to, to uh, 40 F4 on, and I started photographing uh, not only much wider, but also much deeper, like F8, F, you know, F5.6, mm. um, which, which I know doesn't sound very deep to some people, but when you've been shooting tight portraits, 85 at 1.2 mm. is extremely shallow. I mean, yeah. you, you can get one eyelash in, one eyelash out. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but it was interesting because finding that rut, that, that, helped me identify it when I was sort of floundering and kind of trying to figure it out. And, um, and now I photograph almost all with the 17 to 40 or 16 to 35 mm. focal length. And someone could say, well, you know, maybe you're in a rut now, but the thing is, I, I don't feel that I'm in a rut. I still love what I'm doing. I still love the results. I still don't feel like I'm really repeating myself and I've got closer to my vision. So it is, it's a very good for a couple of reasons, a very good exercise to go in and sort of look and go, what, what am I truly using? And frankly, if you've got that 300 millimeter and you go through two years worth of work and you notice you've never used the thing, mm -hmm. yeah, put it, put it up on eBay, you know, yeah. get the cash and buy a piece of gear that you're going to use. Otherwise it just becomes a, a very quickly obsolescing piece of dust collecting yeah. paraphernalia yeah yeah and i think that there's there's a lot a lot to for people to take from this as well in that you know you you do have to keep yourself fresh you do have to keep yourself um feeling happy about your work and but the, i think also there's a difference between being happy about your work and becoming complacent and obviously we mm. we never want to get to the point where where we feel as though we we've arrived. I mean, none of us are ever if we, if we're going to continue to improve and and you know to actually be good at what we're doing. I don't think any of us are ever going to arrive and say, "I'm here. I'm I'm now the photographer." Um, and you know, so there's there's a big difference between being happy with and sort of feeling as though you're in your groove 
and just thinking that you everything you do is going to be amazing and and you know you you you're soon going to find that at the moment people think that they have become what they wanted to become the rest of the world is just going to steam past you um and and it's not that it matters about what the rest of the world is or does it's just but i think that it, there's certainly something there in in being happy with your with what you're currently working with and um and being happy with the results without being you know starting to become complacent yeah i totally agree i think that's a really good point so um let's see so you you're off out you've you're using your mirrorless cameras i know that i would love to be able to downsize to some of that stuff and i think for um for example my iceland tours that i do i i could totally see me working with a mirrorless over there if i can get you know if i can get the right lenses i mean at the moment for me there's there's not a, a bunch of mirrorless cameras with with scaled down lenses and everything in my bag just purely for financial reasons I'm, I can't really afford at the moment to um, to build two kits up um, or move from one to the other because I've got such an investment in in my Canon gear um, sure. but part of the reason for that is because of course in my case I'm doing a lot of I know that you do this as well uh, probably a lot more intelligent than I do I do with renting and stuff but um, you know because I do have the the wildlife work going on as well that really um, requires some gear that, you know, it's really fast frame rate, really snappy autofocus, all of that. And I think that the mirrorless are getting there for sure. Uh, but at the moment, still really lean towards uh, be, being, you know, such capable cameras, more for landscape and, and portraiture and that sort of work. So I can certainly see me uh, doing my Iceland tours with this kind of kit. And I'll be so happy to be able to, you know, my, my bag consistently weighs 15 to 17 kilograms. And, yeah. you know, and it's, it does, I, I, I work with it and I make it, I make it work for me, but you know, I'm not getting any younger either. <laughs> I, I, yeah. uh, I feel as though, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, I just wish this was so much lighter. Uh, so I can totally see me moving to that sort of, uh, that sort of setup in, in the next few years. Um, yeah, and, and you know, Martin, I mean, technology is changing so fast. Mm. Um, not, none of us really truly know. I mean, there may be just unbelievably good uh, all of a sudden. I mean, e even the stuff Fuji's doing right now, you know, their focus is getting better. Olympus's mm. focus is is crazy fast on their four thirds cameras. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is getting to the point where I think at at some point we're going to see sort of uh, all. I imagine it'll have to be a slightly larger mirrorless camera that that is l like crazy fast because there's no mirror getting in the way, right, and, right. Um, you know, and and fast autofocus. I mean, I think it's I think the day is coming, but but I think as it is all of the time, I think all of the sort of the the, the pro gear needs are um, they got to pay off their their R and D by by producing prosumer stuff uh, first because that's the stuff that's going to sell by the you know the hundreds of thousands as opposed to you know the pros that need the the really you know the seven thousand dollar lenses i mean how many of those do they sell mm. you know? yeah um, but i think it's coming absolutely absolutely so um you know obviously we we're we're out in the field we've we've photographed we've you know our passion is uh is going to be fulfilled we've got you know we've got a whole bunch of landscape images that we're we're printing we're enjoying as a as a hobby or a, or a pastime, but what what if uh, people want to take that to the next level and actually start to to try to make a business out of landscape photography? And I know I'm obviously I know that I'm seeding this question. We we're both doing uh, doing very similar sort of things here. But um, for for the listeners, do you think that there's a way to jump in and make landscape photography or nature photography a business in in the current market? Yeah, I do. I, I think um, there's a lot of doom and gloom right now. It is. It is. Uh, there's always you know ups and downs to to markets and and financial situations. And um, but it has generally speaking never been easy for artists uh, to make a living. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, the, just the idea of combining uh, the the work that we do, the creative work that we do, with the world of commerce. It's it's not easy, and it's made even harder when. Um, people see them as 
well, I will just make my art and sell it. Well, it's two very different things. You've got to make your art and make a business. Yeah. Um, both of those things should be an act of creativity. Um, and I think you and I have had a conversation um, along these lines as well, so I, I won't repeat it. But I, I do think, absolutely, I think there's room to make uh, a living um, doing anything. Mm. I think really the question is not can it be done? The idea is how bad do you want it? Mm. And and how uh, willing are you to learn the tools of another craft? Because the ability to sell and the ability to speak to an audience and, and to market yourself, I mean, really all the same, they're different words for the same thing. That That is an entirely different language and a different craft. And if you simply go in and say, well, I'm a photographer, I'll just put my website up and, and people will come. Mm. People will never just come. And, and the the photographers that have made a commercial success of themselves, um, one, two things are, are true. There are really brilliant photographers who will never make a commercial success of themselves mm. because they they either don't have or they refuse to learn the business skills. And there are some excellent business people that are making hand money hand over fist. Um, and frankly, their photography is, uh, without being unkind, um, their photography is crap. Mm. And, and it's because, and that just speaks to the fact that you can truly sell anything to anyone they're two completely different skill sets so it's very important for for the beginning photographer who wants to make the transition just remember that it's two different skill sets it's also very important for the so-called professional to remember that just because they make money at what they do doesn't validate what mm-hmm. they do it doesn't make it doesn't put a stamp of approval on their work and there are a lot of I think a lot of very enthusiastic amateurs, and I, I use the word with the utmost respect people that love what they do that would uh, that need to hear that their work is not validated by making money at it because that will give them permission to continue not to make money at it mm. because it gets there is always the possibility that that you taint what you do when commercial concerns come up you change the way you use your time you change the 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 people for whom you make your work and eventually some of those voices unless you're very conscious of it some of those voices will change your direction and three years from now you look up and go man landscape photography was the love of my life but i started taking wedding gigs to make ends meet and now i don't have time to make landscape photography Mm -hmm. um and and i'm just i'm just an unhappy wedding photographer you may be very good but if it's not what you do if it's not what you want to do don't become good at something you don't want to do. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's an incredibly valid point. I mean, I I've said um, one of the the key things that I've really tried to do as I build my business out. I mean, we're in a few months. We enter the, our fifth term, our fifth uh, year of business. Um, at the end, of that's the, exciting. Uh, it is. It is. Um, but um, we one of the things that I I really made a point not to do is to to do work that I didn't want to do um and and to build the business around work that I do want to do and so it's like people often say um why don't you just um sell sell prints third party fulfilled prints for example and I could probably make a lot more money by from print sales if I was to have them done on a third party sell them a little bit cheaper put them on a third party website and I mean I am thinking about this as an option as as one option but part of the reason that I self fulfill prints is because I like printing you know I I enjoy the act of 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 putting the the roll paper into the printer you know just going through working on working on the image soft proofing and getting it looking great for the print and then just watching it roll out of the printer. Um, I enjoy the process. And there are other things that when I started this business that I said, you know, I was never going to work for an amount of money that I didn't feel happy I'd be receiving. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking, saying that it's all about money, but if I accept a job for an amount that I feel is, is too low, I'm not going to put everything into that, into that job. Uh, or I'm I'm going to make sure. I mean, it, obviously, there are times when you have to do jobs for for less money than you think you should be getting. But you need to then make sure that you're getting some other way of some other compensation um, that makes you feel good about doing the job. And I think that the moment people start to do, like you were saying, you're a landscape photographer, but then decides to take to start shooting weddings because to pay the bills. Um, if you don't want to become a wedding photographer, then figure out how to do it with your landscape photography because there are ways. It's just that you've you've got to you've got to figure out how to 
make what you love a, a a business. And like you were saying, it takes a lot of skills and a lot of um, creativity to to run a business as well as as to actually make beautiful photographs. Yeah, it does, and it and it takes uh, there. It takes an understanding of what compromises you're willing to make, but you know, I I guarantee you that if I mean I, I live in Vancouver and you know I, you're in Tokyo, there's there's it's a big both of them are for, I mean Tokyo is huge compared to Vancouver, but you know how many dentists, doctors, lawyers, professional offices have you ever walked in that there's no art hanging on the walls? Mm, mm. Um, what would it take? Now I don't particularly want to do this kind of work at this point, but what would it take to get the list of, you know, top 100 of those types of offices mm-hmm. and, um, and and go in and make some acquaintances and see what their policy about buying art is and to make some relationships. I mean, it, it may be hard work and people are probably listening going, man, I just don't have the patience. Well, that's fine, but someone else does have the patience and mm-hmm. they're the ones that are putting their art on those walls. Yeah. So there there are markets, there are, there are stock as much as people do sort of decry the, the state of the stock uh, market right now, I mean, stock photography. Um, the, the fact is you can still make money and make a living. I don't make a living with stock photography, but I make uh, I make a, a side income that's it's helpful and it's growing. And and there are models of stock photography that don't force you into this uh, you know pennies a, a photograph um, compensation model. And and there are lots of ways. Yes, it's getting harder, but all that means is things are changing. Mm. You know, um, and and the question is, how can you roll with those changes? I did a blog post at one point about it was called work or wine. <laughs> and it basically said, you can't change the situation. You can you can bitch about it all you like, but you cannot change it. So mm. Take the energy you're spending on whining, um, you know, and, and pat yourself on the back, do what you need to to kind of dry the tears, and then get to work. Like, figure out a way to to adjust to the new market and, and whatever the new economy circumstances uh, are forcing us into. Mm. Uh, just whining about, and you you wouldn't believe it. Someone on, on a micro stock forum, you know, posted it, and, and some people thought it was great, and other people... I, I, you know, you once in a while you you see something on your blog that goes, oh, how did they get there? And then you find something on a forum, and uh, and the things people were saying about me, like, oh, this guy, this guy ha- ha- doesn't live in the real world. He, this guy's probably one of these guys. He's had a camera for three years and leads a workshop, and he thinks he's a, <laughs> he doesn't know the wet dark room like I do. And I'm like, dude, I I was mixing chemicals before you were, you know, before you could even hold a camera mm-hmm. and some of the, this kind of vitriol that was filtering out. And I thought, there they are, you know, it, they proved my point. They're on the forums bitching and whining yeah. instead of just figuring it out. Is it easy? Of course it's not. Is it, is it h- hard and even heartbreaking to see a model that you've made a living at uh, change and crumble? Mm-hmm. And, and especially when it's being done by short-sightedness and stupidity, you know, I, I'm just shocked about the whole Getty thing right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. you know, Getty making this vast library available to people for, you know, for online editorial use and stuff. And mm-hmm. But we can spend our time bitching about it, or we can make a decision to either benefit from it or uh, spend our energy just ignoring it and creating our, our art. You know, I, I mean, we only have so much time in life. So if somebody steals your photograph, you can spend uh, seven weeks trying to pursue them for an invoice or, or um, calling your lawyers and, and suing them and whatever you want. Or you can, and it may be worth that to you, it may, but it may also be worth you going, ah, all right, you know, doesn't mean you're not going to rage about it. You know, the red mist comes up, you need a glass of whiskey to kind of relax yourself and kind of, you know, stop your fists from clenching. But then you realize, you know what? It was work I did four years ago. It's not my best work. And I could spend the next seven weeks instead creating work that's really much better. And in the end, you're a happier individual. So it sort of comes down to this, you know, old axiom. You can either be right or you can be happy. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree, agree more. It's there. There are so many things that are changing in the current market. That I mean, I, I, we, well, we both moved. I know that you, you, uh, you also work with Offset now, um, and although it's not bringing in enough to, to you know, I'm not going to retire on the proceeds from Offset, um, but I think that it is. It's very cool that to be able to even make you know some revenue from. Um, work that I made out of out of passion for the work and not necessarily for you know the work that I was doing uh, on assignment it wasn't me running out trying to make work that I would be able to sell as stock photography 
Um, it's it's work that I would have done anyway, and being able to put that into a, a, a an onto an agency and then uh, have them work to sell it for me, uh, it it all helps to to pay the rent. And I think that one of the big things that I've I've done over this last few years is just make sure that I don't depend on any one revenue stream. And and I think that that's you know that if if you build a business and you try to do one thing really good then obviously if you can do it really good and you can get the niche, then at that point you maybe want to start thinking about cutting back on some of the other things that you've tried to do. But I think a lot of people um, these days find that the what a business really runs uh, or, or you, you're able to uh, keep a roof over your head by doing a number of things and, and get revenue coming in from various places. Um, and then if, that one, if one of them goes away, it's not going to take you under. Absolutely. That, that, that multiple income stream. And again, we've talked about it, so I won't rehash it, but it really is very important. And, and it's a beautiful thing to make one photograph and find four or five different revenue streams for it, you know, yeah. to put it in a book that you can sell, to put it into instructional material that you can sell, to, to print it and sell that, and then to have it at a, at a stock agency that does respect your work. And no, maybe they're not getting thousands of dollars for it, but they're, they're getting, you know, a hundred dollars for it or getting you to a place where you're getting paid for your work in multiple areas yeah. and you know people will bitch and go well i don't want to sell my work for 10 it's it's worth more than 10 dollars and my thinking is well yeah but if you've got it in six different outlets um six different revenue streams and they're all earning different amounts mm. especially if it's passive stuff that's selling over and over again and something like you know an ebook or a you know a print sales not really passive but you, you know you could print a dozen of them and have them ready sh- ready to ship out or, mm. or whatever mm. uh, then then you have one photograph that's earning on multiple income streams and and that can be quite powerful especially if you have 3,000 of those photographs all earning on multiple income streams, yeah. it, it does get you to a place where you go, you know what, this is manageable. And and now I can, it gives you the both the finances and the courage to go, you know what, I'm going to go do another personal project because the last work is paying for it. Now, I'll, you know, I'll go to Iceland or Namibia or someplace. Because a lot of people, I think they listen to your podcast. And I mean, the thing they really just, I mean, they would love it if they could afford to go to these places. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing that gets them there. And you and I have had long journeys to get to the point where we can do these things mm. um but but it's not like you and i either of us have a bank account that we just you know we're, we're not neither of us are trust fund kids right. you know we we made our money on photography and and now it self-sustains but it was a long road getting there oh absolutely yeah so the, there's um i think there's a whole bunch of stuff in this conversation that people will be able to uh listen to and and benefit from so it's uh, it really has been uh, great speaking with you and i think we uh Obviously, we we both at the point where, um, and obviously you're. I'm I'm not going to pretend that that I'm uh, I'm anywhere near as far down the road as you are. But I think that I'm I'm definitely at the point now where I'm I'm starting to feel happy that it, you know things are going to go well. And and there's always a bit of apprehension, I think, when you start a business. Um, and I was perhaps um, a little bit. Uh, too confident that things are going to go well. I mean, I'm I'm confident in my abilities to to work hard and to make stuff make stuff happen, and uh, I think that that really is probably one of the bit one of my biggest strengths in that um, you know just don't give up. I I uh, I'm going to sidetrack myself a little bit here, but um, we we um, we were recently obviously we were, do, we were doing my winter tours. And I managed to turn a, a what could have been a bad situation around with no sea ice uh, for the sea eagles. I managed to turn that around with a bit of persistence and uh, and you know just just a, a few long conversations and some negotiation. I managed to make what could have been a nasty situation really good for my participants. And I think that and I know for a fact that there were other groups in in the area that weren't so persistent and they left away. They they left the area without their photos. Um, so I think that you know one of one of the biggest things that I'd like to add on to this is if you are going to do a uh, if you're going to try to make photography uh, a bit into a business uh, just really make be prepared to work really hard and and you know make make some tough decisions sometimes but really pre- be prepared to work really hard for your dream um but I think that the the biggest thing that that is is floating to the top as I as I talk about this with you here today, David, is that we're both doing stuff that we absolutely love doing, 
And being able to do that and, like you say, get to those places like Iceland and Namibia, I mean, you've travelled the world many times with, with your photography. And I think being able to do this, it's kind of like that old, I'm going to show, show my age here, the dire straits song, Money for Nothing. Um, sure. uh, it's like, it, it's, it's almost as good as being a guitarist in a band and just, in fact, I'd say in many ways it's better, but, um, absolutely. I don't want to carry a guitar, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's like, you, you know, you do what you love and, and a bit of persistence and a lot of hard work turns it into something that can sustain a family. And uh, I think that f- for me, uh, it being at this point where, I'm kind of starting to come out of the woods and I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to work. Uh, I'm, I, there's absolutely no regrets in, for myself in trying to, trying to do this the way I'm doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's realistically, people just have to understand that it is a lot of hard work. But once you, once you have, have put that work in, well, I, you know what? I was going to say you get to a point where it gets easier, but it doesn't because you still work hard. You've always, you're always going to be at, uh, in, there's always the next job to do or the next 50 jobs to do. And you just prioritize your time and keep hacking away at it. But because it's, yeah. it's for something that you love doing, you, it doesn't feel that much like work. It's, you know, it just, it's all, it's a brilliant way to make a living. Yeah, it is. And I, I think, you know, you said it, it, it and then backtracked, it, it gets easier. It, it, you're right. It doesn't get easier, but it does, it gets a little easier to trust that the harder you work, the, the greater the chances that things are actually going to work out. Yeah. And, and, and I, the only thing I would say is that, you know, for those that are listening that have no intention of doing this to make a living, you still have to work hard. You know, there, there's, there's this talent myth that says that, um, you know, well, I'm, I'm not really as talented as this guy. And so, well, that's just nonsense. And the fact is there are so few people that are actually, you know, these <laughs> card carrying geniuses. The rest of us just have to figure it out and work hard at it. And even if you don't want to make this a living, it's it's really it's not a question of talent. Everyone is creative in some fashion. Mm-hmm. If photography is your medium, now there are differently creative people, and there are definitely differently talented people. Mm-hmm. And there are some photographers whose work just stuns me. Mm-hmm. But I would go I would go on record saying that I bet most of them also work their asses mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And and the ones that I most respect that I work that I work I respect their the work itself, the quality of the work. Inevitably, I, I find out that they have been doing this since they were a kid or, or they've been doing it like Joey L since he was 16, but he has literally, I mean, mm-hmm. made it his life and he's, his work ethic puts mine to shame. And I like to think I'm a pretty hardworking person, but no matter what, whether you do this as a living or not, um, whether you want to make a living or, you know, feed your family or feed your soul, you still have to work hard at it because talent is not everything. Mm-hmm. I wish it was, and I, I wish I had more of it. But the fact is, the, the hard, it's quite kind of a, that question, you know, how hungry are you? How badly do you want it? Yeah. And uh, travel's never easy. Land, to get back to our <laughs> initial conversation, <laughs> landscape photography is not always easy. It's rarely easy because the best stuff happens when the weather is garbage, when everyone else is packed up and gone home. There's a lot of uncertainty. You, you got to work hard for it. I don't know anywhere in the world that I've just stopped at one of those places that, you know, the tourist council says, stop here and make a picture, mm-hmm. you know, photo stop ahead. I'd never stop at those places because there's never anything worth seeing. <laughs> and if there are, there's 300 people there that have made a, the same photograph at the same time of day. And the hard work is, you know, is taking your four by four bashing through the bush and finding something other people haven't or putting up with the bugs or the weather or the uncertainty of, you know, or just being away from your family. I mean, if you travel, eventually you're going to be away from your family at some point all of this stuff is hard and it's it's too easy to give ourselves the excuse of well you know i don't have enough money i don't have enough talent i don't have enough time if you want it badly enough you'll make it work and talent is the worst possible excuse because most of the people that look like they have talent that look like they they just do it so easily they're working their asses off and it took them a long time to get there yeah that's my that's my that's my last my last sermon well, it was. I, it's so true, and I, I always feel as though I've, um, I'm coming away from a conversation with you feeling richer for it. So, I hope that the uh, the listeners also feel that way. I'm sure they do. Um, but uh, we'll start. The- well, I do too. And if I can just, I, I just want to say something, Martin. I, I, I think, um, and you may have planned this, but you've been, um, you've been very modest about your, uh, your book and. 
and I don't think we've even mentioned its title. So, uh, because you won't do it, I'm going to mention that um, <laughs> others out there should look up uh, Striking Landscape, which is your latest book, and I believe the subtitle, if I recall correct, is Techniques for Photographers in Beautiful Places, and um, it's got some beautiful work in it. And I just, I really, I want to say, Martin, I, I, and I said it in my write-up about the book, um, you have an ability with, uh, with technical stuff, um, especially in person, you know, in, in uh, you know, your workshops and that sort of thing. When I've, when I've been with you, you have a really, uh, an uncommon ability to explain technical stuff. And there can be a great deal of technical stuff with landscape stuff. So if you compare, you know, your book on landscapes and mine, mine is all artsy fartsy poet warrior stuff. And, and yours gets into, you know, pano heads and, and a lot of the technical stuff. And, um, and I think it's an uncommon ability to sort of teach that stuff with uh, with the clarity you do. So, for those that are listening, highly recommend that you listen uh, that you uh, sorry that you go to craftandvision.com and look at Martin's book, Striking Landscapes, because it it is a, a great book and it's a killer value. I, and don't take my word at it because uh, you know because I'm just the publisher, but uh, <laughs> it really is a great book, Martin. And and since you won't say it, I just want to you know again congratulate you. Oh. It's uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, thanks very much. That's uh, and you, you know what what you were just saying there really um, again it resonates on something that we've touched on. But um, I think we we play to our strengths, and I mean you talk you do the the artsy fartsy poet warrior um, into using your own words um, because uh, you know obviously I wouldn't say that, but you know you do the art stuff just so well. I mean you talk about it in a way that few other people can and. And so I think that, you know, we, we work with our strengths. I, I do the technical. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. so, yeah. So, and this is, this is really. Yeah, I, a, I think that doing, doing the stuff that you, uh, you said playing to your skills is important. And I think if you play to this, to your skills, that's not only the stuff you're good at, it's usually the stuff that we enjoy the most. So my encouragement is always not to fight that and to find that the thing that we enjoy doing the most happens to be the thing that we're the best at. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think that's that's the theme of the conversation today. I'll try and f- figure out a nice, concise uh, title um, related to that, uh, because that's what we seem to have come back to. That's the theme for the conversation today. So, uh, really, thanks very much for your time today, David. It's been a pleasure as usual, and uh, you know, I hope that we get a chance to do this again before too long. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Ciao. Okay, so that was a lot of fun, as usual. Uh, remember that you can catch up with David over at davidducheman.com and also check out his incredible video podcasts at craftandvision.com. And, of course, there's the my new Craft and Vision ebook that David was kind enough to mention there. Uh, that's Striking Landscapes. That's also over on craftandvision.com, and you can get there with the short link directly to the product page with mbp.ac slash cvsl for craft and vision striking landscapes cvsl so we'll wrap it up there and i will be back probably back to the monday release schedule next week but uh, thanks very much for listening today remember that you can find me on google plus twitter and facebook and links to everything that i'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com so do drop by and take a look I'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.